0: Well, this morning I want to begin by thinking about the context for Isaiah chapters 11 and 12. So, if you've got your Bibles, open up to Isaiah 11 and 12, and now look back to Isaiah chapter 10. Now, as we've referenced before, the first major section of Isaiah has a lot to do with the quote-unquote nations. So, the nations—this is the this is the big guys. Right? These are these are the big world players who are giving Judah. Uh, stomach trouble and they as they think about what these guys are going to do. And if you notice in chapter 10 it's all about God judging Assyria, God promising to judge Assyria and it is being it is depicted though this is the important thing it's depicted as clear cutting a great forest. Look down with me to Isaiah chapter 10 verse 17. I'm sorry verse 18. The glory of his forest, the glory of Assyria's forest and of his fruitful land the Lord will destroy. In verse 19, the remnant of the trees of his forest will be so few that a child can write them down. Skip down to the end of the chapter, verse 33. Behold, the Lord God of hosts will lop the boughs with terrifying power. The great in height will be hewn down and the lofty will be brought low. He will cut down the thickets of the forest with an axe and Lebanon will fall by the majestic one. So here in Isaiah 10, Isaiah envisions a time after Judah's been decimated by Assyria. We already talked about that previously, how Assyria, as it grows in prominence, is making more and more military forays into this region and, and bringing harm to Israel and Judah in the south. So Judah is being decimated by Assyria, but after that happens, God promises, "I'm going to decimate Assyria." Now I wonder how Judah feels of when they hear this kind of a prophecy. Because on the one hand, you might think, well, yeah, that's great, you're going to decimate Assyria, but we've already been decimated by Assyria. And who, well, you know, what kind of monster eats a great white shark? Like, whoever's decimating Assyria is going to be even more of a problem for us anyway. I think from Judah's point of view, they're going to hear a message like this and be kind of like, yay? I don't know. We're so small. Like we're only three, two, two and a half of the tribes of Israel. We're just—we're so small, we're so insignificant. We're powerless nobodies who mean nothing. I mean, so Assyria is judged. Well, so what? What next? We're not going to survive because we don't matter. Sometimes I feel like this is how I feel. This is how we feel as well. You turn on the news, and you're reading about. You hear about Facebook. You're hearing about bitcoin about silicon valley and hollywood and washington dc and russia and china and climate change and and pandemics and the cdc and everything and and you're just oh you you get so frustrated because there's nothing i can do about the things that the news is telling me are the most important things happening today what is the most important thing happening today it's not you and your stuff right it's not me and my stuff it is not the coffee that I spilled on the pants that I just finished ironing this morning, right? It's not taking a wrong turn and, and Apple Maps steering me wrong again and not getting to my destination in a timely manner. Those are not the things that are the most important. It's not that I want to play video games, but I have to do homework. And, and why, God, why? Like, these are not the most important things happening in the world. And we know this. So we watch these great news stories unfold. We watch these giant nations and, and, and millions and billions of people moving and being affected. They just feel like, well, I can watch. I can get anxious. I can get angry. I can post memes. I can do nothing. I can do nothing. I'm powerless. I'm helpless. I'm hopeless. I don't matter. We can all feel like this. Judah feels like this. So look with me again at the end of chapter 10, the last verse. Because chapter 11 is, I, I believe, a response to chapter 10. Because chapter 10 finishes up, God will cut down the thickets of the forests of Assyria with an axe, and Lebanon will fall by the majestic one. We turn, I turn the page. We go to chapter 11, verse 1. But there shall come forth a shoot from the stump of Jesse. So you know after you've uh, chopped down a tree, right, and and the next year, if you don't remove the stump, what what grows up? Yeah, a bunch of suckers, right? That's what this is. So so Assyria has just been clear-cut. We've already seen Judah was clear-cut back in chapter 6, clear-cut and burned, and now there's a little one-inch sucker popping up. So there's no hope in the Assyrians of the world in their great cultural power, their great economic might. You know, all the, all the youngsters from Judah are growing up thinking, I'm going to go to Assyria with my backpack right in, and make something of myself. But there's no hope out there. There's no hope in whoever gobbles up Assyria next either. Where is there hope in this world? But from the stump of Jesse. There's going to be a little sucker shoot that grows up from the stump of Jesse who's going to be the hope of the world. Now, we, we met this guy Previously in chapter 6, in chapter 6, verse 13, you remember there's this this, uh, cryptic line at the end of the chapter that says, The holy seed is in the stump. So we don't even know what that means, right, at that point. But now the holy seed emerges. Now there's a little one inch sucker, bright green, coming off of the charred remains of this stump. And what this is, as you know, as they know, they knew as well, was this is a reference to the Messiah. This is the, the promise that Judah was carrying, and, and everybody who was reading this would have known this is talking about the Messiah. Now, we don't know who exactly the Messiah is, right? Genesis 3 promises the whole world that God's going to send his anointed one. Genesis 12, it gets a little more narrow. It's going to come from the house of Abraham. Genesis 49, we know it's going to come from Judah. In Second Samuel chapter 7, we know it's going to come from the house of David. But we still don't know who this guy is. We don't know what he's going to be like. And so Isaiah, really his great contribution, is going to be making the messianic mystery less mysterious. So we've met the holy seed, and now we meet the shoot from the stump of Jesse. So there shall come forth, the shoot from the stump of Jesse. This is a, a, a clear reference to where the shoot is from. So just identifying who this is. He's coming from the Davidic line. Jesse is David's father. This is a shoot from the house of of Jesse from the Davidic line, from the covenant promise given to David in 2 Samuel 7. So this shoot is the fulfillment of God's promise to God's people. And it says that this shoot, in verse 1 there, a branch from his roots, this, this little shoot, shall bear fruit. You remember back in Isaiah chapter 5, God compared Israel to a vineyard that only produced stinky grapes when it should have produced delicious, wonderful grapes? Well, now God's saying, this guy, is the you, you might almost want to say, he's the true vine. And he's going to bring forth good fruit. He will be what God desires his people to be. He will do what God wants his people to do. He will be and do what the world needs him to be and do. He's going to be the Messiah. And he's going to do it. He's going to bear fruit because of verse 2. Because the Spirit of the Lord shall rest upon him. So, throughout the Old Testament... When the Spirit of the Lord would come upon somebody, it was for a job. It was because they had been called to a specific job, and so the Spirit of the Lord came upon them to help them see that job get done. And so because the Spirit of the Lord is on this shoot, this Messiah, all of these other things we read in verse 2 are now His as well. The Spirit of wisdom and understanding, the Spirit of counsel and might, the Spirit of knowledge and the fear of the Lord. I mean, what, what this is saying about the Messiah is this. Everything that he does is going to be right. It's going to be wise and it's going to get done. He's going to do it right. It's going to be wise and astonishing and it's going to get done. What he's going to do, it says in verse 3, is he's going to delight in the fear of the Lord. His delight shall be in the fear of the Lord. This means that the thing that he most wants to do, his delight, is the thing God most wants to, see do, wants to see done. The thing that he most wants to do is the thing that God most wants done. He's going to delight in the fear of the Lord, and so he's going to judge righteously. He's going to see that justice is done. Look down in verse 5. I love this kind of summary picture. I'm not even positive what it means, but this is how I read it. Righteousness shall be the belt of his waist and faithfulness the belt of his loins Every day when he gets up to go to work and he puts his pants on and he he tightens his belt It's righteousness and faithfulness that he's putting on that's how I see this. He's getting ready to work He's gonna do what's righteous and right for you and me and he's gonna be faithful to what God has called him to do He's gonna stand between us in this capacity being faithful to God's call on him and doing what's right for all God's people So here's a summary of the character of this person that we've just been introduced to. The Christ. Now, when I'm in the Old Testament, I like to call him the Christ because we don't really know who it is, right? Christ is not Jesus' last name. It's a title that means the anointed one or the promised one or God's special king who's going to come. And they would have just called him the Christ. We don't know who he's going to be, the Christ. So at this point, the Christ has the power to do it all and he has the character to do it right. Think about that with me for just a moment. The Christ has the power to do it all, and he has the character to do it right, unlike the kings of Judah, who don't have the power to do what God has called them to do, and they don't have the character to do it either. Even a character, even a person like King Uzziah, who just passed away in chapter 6, he didn't have the power or the character to do it right. Even Assyria, right, they had all this power, but what just happened to them in chapter 10? God clear-cut them. He laid them low. They don't have the power to do it all. And they certainly don't have the character to do it right. So this Christ, this little shoot from the stump of Jesse, is greater than every kingdom and every king that we've met so far in the story of Isaiah. He has the power to do it all and the character to do it right. And here's what he's going to do. Look at verses 6 to 9. Uh, these are beautiful verses, right? The the wolf shall dwell with the lamb. We probably all have a children's book in our house, or have had a children's book in our house with pictures, uh, with the 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 wolf and the lamb lying down, and the leopard shall lie down with the young goat. A little child shall lead them. The cow and the bear, verse seven, shall graze together. Their young shall lie down. The lion shall eat straw like an ox. The nursing child shall play over the hole of the cobra. So these are pictures of all the innocents being perfectly safe, right? All of the, the children and the lambs, they there are no more threats to them. And all violence is now gone. The bears are not, not predators anymore. Lions are no longer predators. They're eating straw and, and grass. There's no more of this violence. And even, you'll notice in verse 8, there's two references to uh, like snake creatures, right? The cobra and the adder but it just says that the kids are playing by the holes of them or by the den of them. They're not around. It doesn't say this, the kid is playing with the snake. Snakes have been removed, I think. I think this is a reference to all, all deadly creatures are gone. And all of this is a picture of what we come to in verse 9. They shall not hurt or destroy in all my holy mountain. This is a picture of complete shalom. Complete and perfect peace. Now, when you and I think of peace, we think of something like this, right? Little crickets chirping. I don't know if you can hear them. Little crickets. I was driving the other day and I crossed a bridge and I looked over here and there's a little, little kind of creek and it was just perfectly still with some yellow and, and red leaves just scattered atop of it like, like glass. I was like, oh, that's so nice. That's, that's peaceful, right? Well, God's peace is, includes that, but it's more. I like to think of it as the difference between chicken noodle soup and chili. And chicken noodle soup is great when you're sick, but chili is what you want when you've got a job to do. And the peace of God, the, the Bible word for it is shalom. It's this, it's this rich, meaty, hearty peace that doesn't just quiet all the evils, but fills us with what we need to do righteousness and to, to obey God. So this is this perfect peace, this complete shalom, is going to come as a consequence of, look at the rest of verse 9, for the earth shall be full of the knowledge of the Lord as the waters cover the sea. This complete shalom is a consequence of what will happen when everyone knows the Lord rightly. When everyone knows the Lord rightly. You know, you and I sin, and we do stupid stuff because we don't trust the Lord as we should, because we don't know Him, as he deserves to be known. We don't understand how glorious he is, how trustworthy he is, how how completely we should just follow him. When we do know that, we're just going to we're going to follow him as well as we can. And everybody gets to know the Lord this well because of the Christ on whom is the spirit of the Lord. So the knowledge of of God is going to come to the world because People are going to go to the Christ to meet the Spirit of God and so get the true knowledge of Him. So this passage describes the shoot from the stump of Jesse and what he's going to be like and what are going to be some of the consequences of his rule. Stuff that Assyria could never dream of pulling off and stuff that Judah with her previous kings never has been able to either. But that's not the only thing it says about this fellow, this Messiah, because we look down in verse 10 and it says, and in that day, the root of Jesse. So whereas the shoot from the stump of Jesse is a reference to where he's from, right? This is he is the fulfillment of God's promise to Judah. Now the root of Jesse, this is a reference to what he's going to produce, to the fruit of verse 1. He's going he's to produce fruit This is going to be references now to what grows from him, what he does and what he accomplishes. And you're going to notice that there's four times the phrase, in that day. When he is established, when he does all these he's going to do, in that day, four things are going to be true. Two great global things and then two, two other things. You see this in verse 10, in that day, the root of Jesse who shall stand as a signal for the peoples, of him shall the nations inquire. So all the nations are going to come to him for the knowledge of God. We've already seen places in Isaiah that talk about this. And verse 11, in that day, the second thing, the Lord will extend his hand yet a second time to recover the remnant that remains of his people. This root, this Messiah, is going to launch a second exodus. Exodus. So just as in the first exodus, he gathered God's people out of Egypt, now in the second exodus, he's going to gather all God's people and lead them out from the nations where they went into exile. It's like a lot of words with X in it. (laughs) The second exodus, out of of where they are in exile. So verses 11 and 16 are all about that. Now, what the... Christ is going to do is not just going to have consequences for big nations and big geopolitical things. Look at chapter 12. It's also going to have consequences for you and for me and for us. In chapter 12, we read verse 1, In that day you will say, I will give thanks to you, O Lord, for though you were angry with me, your anger turned away. That you might comfort me. Behold, God is my salvation. I will trust in Him and not be afraid. For the Lord God is my strength and my song. And He has become my salvation. In that day, you will know His salvation and be comforted. And then, verse 4 of chapter 12, And in that day you will say, Give thanks to the Lord, call upon His name. Verse 5, Sing praises to the Lord, for He has done gloriously. Verse 6, Shout and sing for joy. In that day, we're going to say to each other and to all the world, hey, let's celebrate now because of all that he has done. So the first part of chapter 12 has to do with me, and the second part of chapter 12 has to do with us. What do you want uh, the Messiah to do? What do you want God as Savior to do? Do you, uh, do you want him to, to save all the, the nations and save society and, and revive America again? And, and the Chinese Christians praying for the Chinese government and the Russian Christians praying for the Russian government? Do we want the Messiah to, to fix society? Do we want him to put an end to all conflict and all wars? Do we want him to, to, to end all of the tensions and the geopolitical uh, conflicts that are happening you know, maybe some of you are like, yes, that stuff just worries me. And some of the rest of us might be feeling like, well, no, I, I don't really care about that stuff. I, I mean, I care, but I don't care. What I really am worried about is the sins in my life. What I'm really worried about is the guilt that I carry around. I need this, the Messiah, the Savior, to do something about that. And maybe some of us are saying, you know what, what I really want the Lord to do, what I really want the Savior to do is to give us joy, to restore communities, to, to bind together churches and heal churches and, and spread joy. That's what, really what I want the Messiah to do. And what we see here in Isaiah 11 and 12 is that he's for all of these things. Right. So the Messiah cares for you. He cares for everybody. He cares for that thing. He cares for us. He cares for you. The Messiah is for all of these things. He's not just for big things and not you. He's not just for your sins and not big things. He is going to deal with all the problems in the world, which you have to admit is not too bad for a little promise made to a bunch of no-account nobodies. And this works because, as you well know, a little with God goes a long way. A little with God goes a long way. God Lays Assyria low. But well, that's not the end. But there's this little shoot, this little shoot from little old Judah that's become, going to become this root that is going to grow up and heal the world and heal each one of us. When we turn to the New Testament, to Matthew chapter 1, you know what the very first words of the New Testament are. The book of the genealogy of Jesus the Christ, the Son of David. Which is another way to say Isaiah 11.1. One, There shall come forth a shoot from the stump of Jesse. That's what Matthew is saying. He's saying, the shoot from the stump of Jesse has come forth. And his name is Jesus. Jesus is the shoot, the fulfillment of God's promise to David. And so he is the root who is going to produce and do all these great things. He is the one who fulfills God's promises and is going to accomplish God's purposes. Why? Why? Because he is the one who has the power to do it all, as we saw in chapter 11, the power to do it all, and the character to do it right. You know, just like Judah would look at these promises, I think sometimes you and I, we, we look at the Bible, we, we look at life, we look at all those things that I've mentioned and, and other things like them, and then we look at the Bible and we just say, how can these things be? How can these things be? Well, this is what God's people literally have been saying since Genesis. How can these things be? It just doesn't seem likely. How, how Assyria versus Judah, how is this going to work? The power of the empire, the power of the world versus the little old promises of God. How is this stuff going to work? How can these things be? Well, I'm here to tell you that they, they can't just be, they are. Right? Jesus has come. The shoot from the stump of Jesse has come. And so the Spirit of the Lord is among us. And the knowledge of the Lord is right now, this morning, filling the earth. All across the world are groups of people gathered in Jesus' name talking about this. His people are being assembled. The second exodus is happening. And we have received this comfort because God has turned His anger away from us and has given us salvation. Alright, so what should we do with all this today? Look with me at chapter 12, verse 3. What we should do today is what Isaiah says we will do in that day when we meet Him. In chapter 12, verse 3, with joy you will draw water from the wells of salvation. So today, let me encourage you to draw water from the wells of salvation. So chapter 11, chapter 12, these things describe what will be. Isaiah is describing these things to to Judah and saying these are what's going to be. And I want to invite you to enjoy them today by faith. So even though these things aren't going to happen probably in your lifetime, Israel, Yet I want you to look forward to them put your trust in them. Know that God is going to take care of all these things. Know that God is going to bring salvation. And with that, bring that good news by faith to today so that you can have peace today, you can have joy today, you can have comfort today by what God's going to do in the future. And in the same way the Spirit wants to say to you and me, this describes what happened in Jesus for you and me. And so, Isaiah is inviting us to enjoy it by faith as well, to read this and to believe it. Now, I love the image of a well. Think about what is a well. A well is a little bit of water, where? Right? Like, when you look down, you see the well. When you look around, what do you see? A dry and weary land, right? Everywhere you look, it's a desert except for this little puddle in front of you that you have to haul water up out of. That's what a well is. Isaiah 11 and 12 is a well. It's a well. It's a look down out of our dry and weary circumstances, out of our anxieties and our wounds and our fears and our anger. We're looking around. That's all we see up here. We look down into Isaiah 11 and 12, and what do we see? We see the salvation of God. It's dry and weary up here, but it's life-giving water down there. And so Isaiah is saying, draw that up and drink today, that day that's going to come. And for us, drink today, that day that came, when Jesus came. The good news of Jesus, chapter 11, verses 1 to 6, who Jesus is. Chapter 11, verses 7 to 16, what Jesus is going to do. In chapter 12, verses 1 to 3, what all of this means for us, this good news is meant to work for you and me in our difficulties, in our troubles, in our fears, the same way that water works for thirsty people. You turn to it. You draw it up. You're saved by it. You're satisfied with it. You're strengthened by it. And then, verses 4 to 6, you turn to others and you say, Hey, you give thanks too. You share it with them. Say, come meet the glorious Lord. So today, let me give you two encouragements. When you are feeling small and hopeless, go back to the good news. Go back to Scripture. Remember Jesus Christ, that He has the power to do it all, and He has the character to do it right, and He cares for you. And secondly, when you're feeling small or when you're feeling insignificant, I want you to remember something else that this passage points to. The nations are going to inquire of Christ because of you. So when we look at chapter 11, verse 10, it says, In that day, the root of Jesse, who shall stand as a signal for the, na- for the peoples, of him shall the nations inquire. And then in chapter 12, verse 4, it says, Give thanks to the Lord, call upon his name, make known his deeds among the people. They're going to find out about this king because this king's people announce this good news. Sometimes we look like we don't matter, do we? That's okay. We have Christ. We have the shoot. And we know with Jesus Christ a little goes a long way. And I think what this means for us is that all of our discipleship efforts, whether at home, whether at work, whether here at church, all of our discipleship efforts matter. Because we have Christ, and a little goes a long way. I love how this passage ends. Look at chapter 12, verse 6, the last verse, and the last phrase. Everything we do matters, friends, because of this. For great in your midst is the Holy One of Israel. Great among us is the Holy One of Israel. And it's easy to forget this. It's easy to feel small and pointless, but don't. Because great among us is Jesus Christ our Lord. Great in your life is the Holy One of Israel. And great in this world is the need for the knowledge of His glory, which we have. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank You for Your Word. And we thank You so much for the coming of Jesus Christ our Lord. That already we begin to see all the nations inquiring of Him and being discipled at His feet. And we begin to see His people being gathered from every tribe, tongue, people, and nation. And already we ourselves know the comfort that His salvation has brought. And we are filled with the joy and the, the sense of purpose to call others to know Him. So we're so thankful for Jesus and, and who He is, that He is the one who can do it all, and He is the character to do it right. So we can trust Him, and we can entrust ourselves completely to you, Into into Jesus, your King. So, Lord, we thank you for this good word. We ask that it would help us now as we go into our lives. Sometimes we are overwhelmed, sometimes we feel small, but we have you, and we have the Lord Jesus Christ. And so we know not only that you are with us, that you will accomplish your purpose in our lives. But we also know that that purpose is a great purpose. And it is what this world needs. And so we thank you for this, Lord, and we ask your help. In Jesus' name, amen.